Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Good to have you on the show, Piotr. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Hadi. Let me just start with a quick introduction for our listeners. Piotr Pitsash is the co-founder of Uncapped. Uh, you're more of a revenue-based financing uh, firm that helps founders raise capital without interest or equity. You recently raised uh, $80 million in both debt and equity from notable investors like Lakestar. And you also have other investors on, on your cap table like White Star Capital, Moro Capital, and Global Founders Capital. Piotr, you founded this company back in 2019, a little bit before the pandemic, and you positioned it as an alternative to the traditional debt financing and venture capital, to, to say the least. And you also provide uh, newcomers, founders, startup growth companies, a form of um, capital at a particular fixed fee, and then they repay it from their revenue. I'm very interested with this model because it has recently entered the European space and you're, you're one of the uh, leading companies there. Your value proposition is extremely interesting because you say, I want to move fast. I'll give you the capital as fast as maybe 24 hours as, as you've put on your website. There's no personal guarantees. It's a very clear business model. How do you manage default risk? Because this is the most interesting part when you're very fast in a risk-driven environment, you always have this management of risk. So how do you do that? You know, it took us, uh, we were doing it for over three years right now. And uh, as you can imagine, we had our ups and downs in the time. And, you know, we had to lose some money and make some mistakes to get it right. But in principle, I think we now figured out how to leverage the data that the companies share with us to really understand their business and make the smart business decisions. The companies we work with are e-commerce companies and they're very data, very data rich. So, you know, when they come to us, we connect to their Shopify or Magento or, or WooCommerce, their marketing accounts. We connect with their accounting software, with bank details, and we can very well understand the performance of our business. We are looking for unit economics, uh, their margins, the CAC to LTV, the payback period, how much they're burning on the OPEX, what's happening with inventory. And these data are very predictive and they allow us to make good decisions fast, efficiently, and well. So, you know, on average, actually, I think we're very, very happy with a credit performance on the loans we're providing. That's an amazing model. Definitely data is the gold mine when it comes to such uh, frameworks. Take us back to the founding aha moment. How did you come up with the idea and how did you find that this is an opportunity in the market? Did you do any research? Do you have mental models you follow? Happy to understand your thought process. You know, before starting Uncapped, I was a VC investor and every day I was meeting founders who were looking for the capital, but very often they were founders of a companies which didn't really need a VC funding. What they really needed 
is a capital to fund their marketing, fund their inventory. Things are very predictable. And funding them through uh, equity is very expensive. Equity should be used to fund this very long-term risky project. But if I need 100000 to deploy the marketing and this money are paid back within a month or two, why do I need equity to fund this? So I was thinking about this problem for months and months. And at some point I realized I just can't, can't stop thinking about this problem anymore. And I thought, you know, but VC space getting so competitive, but no one, and but the debt space is actually very bigger, much bigger. And no one is giving these founders the debt they need. And I thought this opportunity is just too big to miss. And I decided to quit my job, build a first pitch deck. So for the first time I was, you know, the one making the deck rather than the receiving one. And, you know, reached out to my friends, never funds and try to raise the money. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing it. And how did you do your research to find where to start? So you're a, you're a London-based company. How do you know which market is the best market to start in? Oh, we just started in our home market, right? I was living in London for 10 years at the time. This is where my network was. UK is the second largest e-commerce economy in the world after US. It's actually UK actually per capita is much bigger e-commerce market than US, much more advanced. So I knew that this is a good market to start in. So frankly, there was no much research, just, you know, hey, we're starting home. No one is doing this here. From day one, the pitch was, hey, we're going to be, we're going to start in Europe. It's interesting enough that finding the customer is harder in your case than convincing them to use your product because who wouldn't accept money to fund their startup? So how did you find your first customer? Oh, it took me some time in the early days. I think the first customer was this clothing company and I was seeing their ads a lot on my Instagram. And I thought they'll be the best first customer for our company. So what really happened is I reached out to the founders and they were not responding and they had a pop-up store in London. So I physically went to their pop-up store. I bought their clothes and basically started to speak with founders when I was buying their pants. And I started a conversation. I started to pitch them, hey, we're, we're starting this company. Uh, we're going to do a, a landing to the e-commerce startups. Wouldn't you like, to, I love your ads. Wouldn't you like to have more money to spend on the ads, buy more inventory? But I like your proposition. We started to talk and talk and, you know, it took us some time, but they agreed to be our first customer. You know, at that time, the business had no technology. I just hired a few engineers. We literally built the first integration just for them. So I think their store was based on WooCommerce. So normally we would start by building a Shopify integration first, but because they were our first customer, we actually built WooCommerce integration first. We gave them the money. For the first two months, we didn't even have the option to pay back the money. So we're like, just don't repay us for now. Like, let's leave it later. Give us some time. So they didn't have to repay for the first two months. But yeah, it was, it was very physical. It was like literally knocking on the doors and convincing first customers to join. The second customer was a similar e-commerce brand of my friends, which is actually uh, like the founders of Chief Girl I was dating a few months ago. Luckily, we, we ended up in a good terms and, and I convinced them, hey, they are very seasonal and it was November, so they were starting their peak season. So uh, we were like, hey, do you want more money for marketing? Yes, we'd love it, love the idea. And, you know, two weeks later, they became our second customer. So in our case, 
very slow process of me personally reaching out to the people in my network or not in my network, but ones I heard about. This is a very interesting approach because you're doing things that don't scale, which is what a lot of founders when they start should be doing. But interestingly enough, what, what I'm curious about is how did you manage that early risk? Because you're giving people money and there's a high chance if there's no technology, there's no the KPIs out there that you could track, they could end up not repaying. How did you mitigate that risk early on? First of all, in lending, there are two reasons why people don't repay you, because they can't and because they don't want to. My view was that, you know, most founders want to repay you the loan as long as they can, right? So if you are a founder of a good, promising business growing, you don't want to, you know, you're not a fraud. You are actually a real honest person who wants to scale their business. I saw that, right? Like these brands are very high quality. People put so much love into building them. These are the good people. And, and like we speak to the founders, like every loan we give, we actually speak to the people behind it. So when there's a question, can they repay? Can they afford to repay? And the lucky thing for me, you know, before launching this company, I spent uh, four years as a VC investor. And before I worked in Google for several years. So I knew what good looks like. I knew what a good company looks like. I know how to analyze the business. I know how to understand the performance and the growth trajectory of a company. I know even how to help them. So I think, especially in the early days, it was a bit of manual work. We didn't have a technology, so these founders just shared the data with us in an Excel format or whatever format available, and we were doing you know, manual work to analyze them. There was no algorithms. But again, you do things that don't scale, and over time, you automate this process. But luckily, because of my background and experience, I think we were in some privileged position when it comes to underwriting and understanding these businesses. Thank you for sharing this. What early acquisition strategies did you employ after your first maybe five, 10 customers that are either ongoing with you now because they're good strategies or you've learned something from them and you're now switching to another one? So the strategy which worked in the early days, which stopped working later, was a VC channel. So again, because of my background, I was in a very privileged position to know most of VCs. As a part of the fundraising process, I actually met most of VCs as well. So very early on, actually one of my angel investors, several VCs invested as a VC funds, but also some VCs or people from VC funds invested personally as an angels. One of the angels loved the idea and loved the company so much that he decided to switch and move from a VC fund to join us and lead our VC partnerships team. And because he was from this world, he actually did excellent job by, you know, reaching out to his network and, you know, reaching out to other funds and basically saying, hey, do you have any portfolio companies which like to grow faster? You know, VCs also don't want to, some, it's also in a VC's interest for the company, for the portfolio company to grow as much as possible before the next round. So maybe VC don't want to invest this money themselves. So we were able to help the portfolio businesses scale faster with our capital. And I think in the first year, VC partnerships were the most efficient and the most scalable channel we had. Knowing what you know today, and if you're starting from scratch and you have enough money, where would you go day one to start finding all of these customers? Would you still go to the VC or you've seen other strategies that with enough money 
can help you acquire more customers? At the end of the day, the most scalable channel actually is the outbound channel. Majority of our clients actually are not VC funded. And these VC funded companies have a very specific window of time when they need the money because either they are post the round and they have too much money. Then, you know, maybe six, 12 months after the round, they actually have this perfect period where they have some money left in the round, which they need for the OPEX, but they need more money for, to scale their, you know, marketing inventory. And then 12, 18, 24 months, unless they got to break even, they actually are a bit short on the runway and they're like, hmm, we need to figure out the next round. And this is the moment when we don't want to lend to them. So majority of our clients are actually not VC funded, are mainly, you know, bootstrapped companies. You know, the founders build their business themselves without taking any external funding or a minimal amount. And reaching them is usually best done by cold calling them, cold emailing, reaching out to them on LinkedIn, you know, finding them on conferences. So I think building a scalable outbound organization is the best way to find these businesses. Any tactics that you could advise on cold emailing, cold calling that could increase that conversion rate or pickup rate? Personalized. So I think, you know, we don't believe that mass emailing people is the right way to do. What we do is we actually go very, very targeted. So our target number of emails or calls per person is actually pretty low, but we are doing a lot of pre-qualifying job and then a lot of work to actually understand the clients we are reaching out to, to first of all, reach out to the right people at the right time, the right proposition with the right messaging. So I would say invest in the quality rather than quantity. You also don't want to be known in the market as someone who is spamming them. We are almost four years since we started the company. I'm still doing some outbound myself. For the most promising clients, I think it has to be the top management who is involved in the process. If you have a large high-profile business, I think it's only fair if they still have, you know, me trying to build the relationship with the founder management and it shows to first of all some sign of respect from our side. It's like sign of commitment. Like we are you are not one of the many. We really want to partner with you and you have our attention. You will get a special treatment from our side. And we see it's working out very well. What have you been the most proud as of today from Uncapped? I would say the team we've built is pretty spectacular today. I think we are in very interesting environment in interesting times as, and as many other companies in this space, we've had a good moments and worse moments. You know, we are now past this moment when the times were tough. I think the company is basically break even nowadays uh, growing and we're very proud of it. And that, Tough year we had last year when the crisis hit and, you know, inflation, the whole e-commerce was struggling last year, forced us to restructure the business a bit, but also work on our culture. Today, we have a very high-performing culture where I think, you know, everyone is doing a really outstanding job, performing very, very well, while having fun. I think, you know, we have a very clear national policy. And I think I really believe the one thing that people say when they join Uncapped it's a really great place to work. People really enjoy the amount of responsibility they get, the friendliness of environment, while actually having a very high demand from the top. We expect a lot from the people, but while giving them a lot of support and a lot of leverage and, and a lot of responsibility. 
That's great uh, to know about this. Recently, you've been identified as the second fastest growing fintech in Europe. I think what I've read is you grew around 500,000 percent uh, in 2021. And you also lent in one day 15 companies around 12.5 million. If you were to pick two decisions that you personally took that has influenced this growth, what would those be? Funny thing is, if I took, if I could change with time, I would not grow this fast. I think growing this fast <laughs> was actually a mistake. So first of all, to all the founders listening to this, don't read the press. And you know, like sometimes you read about the companies growing very fast. Very often it's end, it ends up, especially when it was happening in 2021, a problem later on. But I think what really helped us, first of all, is the market we were in. You know, like we started the business before the pandemic. And when there was an e-commerce boom during the pandemic, it was, we rode the wave, you know, like at the end of the day, e-commerce was growing and we were growing with e-commerce. I think we built our company, we started with an office and we started, you know, having two offices in London, Warsaw. And then after, I think three, four months into the pandemic, we decided to be fully remote business. I think being a fully remote company really helped us, giving ourselves the space and allowing us to bring the talent from all over the world allowed us to scale the business much faster. Today, we are operating this hybrid world where we actually do have offices again, but we still hire people all around the world. So, you know, you don't have to work in one, but if you work in the location or we have office space, it's encouraged to, to go to. But I still want to bring the talent wherever they are. And it's been fantastic, you know, having this good remote work culture is really advantage today. Thank you for sharing this. I can't agree more because we're fully remote. This we like to hire a talent from all over the world, which creates some, some form of equality among the talent pool. Let's switch gears a little bit to Piotr, the, the person. What are you currently running towards and what are you currently running away from? Running towards? Ooh, a great question. You know, building a business usually it's in stages, right? Like I think, especially when we were a young company, I remember every quarter being a bit different. You're in the first quarter of a company, you're with three, four people, when you're six, when you're 10, when you're 15. And every quarter, it's a different cycle of a company. Today, we are in the cycle of a Today, you know, we've been past the hyper growth. Then we've been through restructuring where we scaled down the team. Now, for the last six months, we were in the mode where we wanted to stabilize the company and make it run efficiently. And today we are this very efficient organization working very well with people really knowing their, their job. Now what we try to do is grow the company efficiently. I think we learned that growth at all costs is not something we want to do. And we very often give up the growth in return for the profitability, but we are now trying to figure out a way, okay, how do we scale the business efficiently? How do we you know double, triple the company over the next 12 months, next two years while being profitable? While actually, you know, giving the customers the best level of service while actually maybe not growing the team exponentially. So this is the core of what we do. What are we running away from? I actually don't think we're running away from anything today. We have a good vision. I think we have a clear path to what we want to do. I'm really looking forward this year. I think this will be very, very, very successful year for us. Amazing. If you were to pick one principle that you live by and that you think has 
made you a successful entrepreneur. What would that be? And, and the reason I'm asking is I'm also a big on principles with founders. I have every Friday, I share with the audience one principle that others like big founders have used in their business that have served them well. So if you could share with us one, that would be amazing. I think what worked really well for me personally is being very transparent and honest with yourself and with the people around you. This means that sometimes you need to have very tough conversations. This is sometimes very difficult for people, especially when they are when they don't know you, they are new to you or into the organization. But I think in the long term, it creates a lot of trust and a lot of loyalty. I know I have several people who are with us from the beginning, and they've been with us through, through good times and bad times. And the level and the full transparency with them and basically being open about the problems usually really, really helped in keeping them. I believe, you know, people, especially people you hire are smart. And when you pretend, pre try to hide things from them, they see them. So I always believe that it's better to basically face things head on and explain to them. So we run a weekly all hands with a whole company. So everyone joins the, the meeting at the end of the week. And, you know, we have a very transparent Q&A at the end of a session where everyone can ask any question they want. And they're like, you know, I always, always, always answered every question, honestly, fully honestly, even if there are tough, tough ones, you know, like we fired a lot of people, people are asking, hey, what's the situation of a company? Why are we doing this? What happened? I think it's important to be fully transparent with all the employees. You're absolutely right. This is one of the most important principles, especially when you're remote and non-remote as well. What were dinner topics you had with your parents when you were young? Great question. You know, I didn't think about it for a long time. I think with my dad, we always, I loved the politics. I was reading the newspapers from when I was uh, very young and we loved to talk about the politics, the current affairs, what's going on in the world. And this was great because this, give, this gives the kid, I think, a very good understanding of the world and this curiosity and good education. Thank you for sharing this personal story. If you were to pick one skill and invest in it more and more, what would that skill be? I think I would like to be a better coach for my team. At the end of the day, running a company is all about the people. If you think about what your job as a CEO is, there's all these tasks you have to do, but... The key one, the most important one is you always think, okay, how do I structure my team? Who goes where? Who do I need to hire? Who do I need to say goodbye to? And how do I train the people that work for me? You know, I think this is your responsibility as a leader to educate them, to sell them your vision, to show them, you know, to help them get better managers, better operators. And I think if I could become a better coach for them, I think this would be the most, the best use of my time and skill. It's a great uh, initiative for sure. I've, uh, I've come across this book called The Trillion Dollar Coach by Bill Campbell, which is one of, of uh, yeah, the, the, the late Bill Campbell. And he was saying, and, and basically in his book, what he does is he wants to make people better. And every manager should be a great coach because that's how you move your team forward. You're not always going to have successful moments. Most of the time it's uh, bad moments. Uh, you're running out of money, employees are leaving. That's an interesting skill. One last question for you, Piotr. What's next? What's next for us? I think we're very excited about 
the new product you're launching aimed at Amazon merchants. I think, you know, we, with e-commerce growing, we, I think a lot of Shopify merchants are really, really struggling today. And our view is that Amazon is where a lot of companies are moving to because of much easier way to get in front of the customers. So we spent a lot of time and effort to figure out how do we service companies best. And we launched a new product and it was aimed at these merchants. And we really believe we can become the best Amazon, best lender for Amazon merchants globally. I wish you the best of luck, Piotr. How can people reach you? I think Twitter, LinkedIn, email. My email is Piotr, P-I-O-T-R, at weareoncap.com. And yeah, happy to, looking forward to all the messages from everyone. Thank you for your time and we wish you the best of luck in your venture. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers. 